34 of The Simpsons appeared in season 2. It was almost the last, I believe it was the second to last episode of the season. Written by Jeff Martin, directed by the great Wes Archer, uh, who, along with David Silverman, is pretty much entirely responsible for how The Simpsons is, is colored, uh, and how the characters move in space. Matt Groening, of course, is a little more responsible for how they look when they're standing still. But so much of the visual feel of the show and how things move, and uh, the, especially the colors, were, you know, very smart contributions by David Silverman and Wes Archer, who in the beginning were animators employed by Klasky Chupo. People talk a lot about how um, primitive the animation looked in seasons one and two, and I know what they're getting at. But by the time we reach the end of season two, I have to say that it is just so beautiful. I'm, I know I say this a lot, um, but certain episodes in the Klasky Chupo years um, where the people are working within the idiom of, you know, of this uh, crudely drawn kind of surrealistic world with Saturday morning cartoon colors and um, a look that's sort of almost like graffiti. Uh, within that, they're able to just do amazing, very, very fluid animation and very complicated camera angles. And Three Men in a Comic Book is one of the most beautiful of these, uh, especially the end um, that everyone thinks of when they think of this episode, if they know it, uh, with Bart, Milhouse, and Martin fighting over the comic book Radioactive Man number one in the treehouse while the thunderstorm rages outside. It's very memorable, you know, because it looks so beautiful, but also because it's so dramatically staged and, you know, there's a perfect amount of conflict, great dialogue. Um, 
It borrows from the movie The Treasure of the Sierra Madre, where three people are similarly uh, suspicious of one another. And, I mean, really everything about it is great. But it should be noted that it takes a really long time to get to this point. Um, as I just said, this is at the very end of the episode. Um, and a lot of the show is taken up by Bart's worry that he's not going to be able to get the comic book and his trying to get money uh, to buy it and getting thwarted at every turn when everything that he tries to do doesn't earn enough money. So, for that reason, it's a, a pretty quiet story up until the end. But it also contains this amazing... Uh, ah, I say the word too much. <laughs> it also contains a beautiful set piece in the beginning uh, set at the Comic-Con. The family drive to the Comic-Con. Bart and Lisa are both excited. There are a lot of kids there and various cool things happen that I'm sure were really fun for the writers to write about um, because the world of comic conventions had not really been mind that much at this point and now of course comic-con is very big with mostly adults um but what they're talking about here and sort of lovingly treating i think is the world of comic book fandom in the 60s and 70s when it was uh much more the realm of kids you know, people who are as, as young as Bart and Lisa collected comics. And not that they don't now, but it's, um, you know, comics are a much more sophisticated medium than they used to be. And they were rightfully seen as for kids. Um, so, I mean, to my mind now, this is something that was broadcast 25 years ago in the 90s but it harkened back to the world of 20 years before that when the writers were growing up. Um, it functions almost as like a cultural history lesson <laughs> about a time, it's sort of like cutesy Americana time when kids like Milhouse would really want the Carl Yastrzemski baseball card with the big sideburns and... Um, Radioactive Man number one and various other things. So, they go to the Comic-Con. Bart sees Radioactive Man number one for sale. He gets obsessed with it. He really wants to get it. He asks Homer for money. He says no. He says he has to uh, work so that he can get the $100.
And so he tries all these things. I, I, I particularly like when he smashes the uh, frame around the rare coins. Foreign coins and goes to have the money changed and it uh, translates to three cents because the little bank teller who gives him the three cents and says, let the good times roll, of course, has the Charles Bronson voice. And that was an early instance of that. Uh, eventually, Bart goes to work for Mrs. Glick. This is another area, little uh, milieu, where the drawings just look uh, very, very pretty. A lot of different colors uh, of Mrs. Glick's jungle-like yard where Bart is forced to, or, you know, obligated to pull out weeds until he bleeds and, you know, really do hard work. <laughs> she has like a lizard and all these sort of tropical plants in her overgrown backyard. And the inside of her house is also very carefully done. It convincingly looks like a creepy old lady's house with a picture of her dead brother who died in World War I in it. And there's even one shot where she's in the pose of Whistler's mother watching TV in her rocking chair. Mrs. Glick, I must mention, voiced by Cloris Leachman. Uh, who does not always do her voice. Mrs. Glick really does not appear very frequently, but this was her first appearance. So he has, he's humiliated, and it goes on for a really long time in the episode that he does all these chores for her. And when the week is finally up, she just gives him 50 cents. He's super pissed. And I know you've waited for me to say this. This is the first appearance of Comic Book Guy as well. Voiced by Hank Azaria. And based on no particular comic book store owner. And we know that because everybody seems to know a comic book store owner or a record store owner or, you know, someone who is nerdy and has a sedentary job, who's very, very much like comic book guy, either in attitude or physically, or both. And it is, of course, to his store that Bart goes to plead once again, um, for comic book guy to let him have Radioactive Man number one for a reduced price. And he, of course, says no deal. Um, and luckily, or sort of unluckily, Martin and Milhouse are both in the store at the same time. I should mention that he was at the, comic book guy was at the con as well. But when Bart uh, 
still doesn't have enough money. He goes not to the Comic-Con because it's over. He goes to the Android's dungeon. So they figure out with, you know, a little bit of quick math that they only have enough to buy the comic if they pool their resources. So they will have to split it three ways. And that's how the whole rest of the show unfolds with its, you know, Lord of the Flies type ugliness when they have to compete for, you know, who has possession of, of the comic. Here, in this first appearance of his, comic book guy is a little different. He looks very much the same as he will look, you know, all the way through the series. Um, but his voice is a little different. He has a lisp, and uh, he's very beleaguered and snotty and surly, you know, which are absolutely consistent with how he will be forevermore. But I don't find him to be quite as nerdy or erudite. Uh, or, I don't know, sort of snobbish. As he very quickly became as his character was getting worked out. It would be many, many years, of course, before they named him. His real name is Jeff Albertson and... A lot of people take issue with that. They feel like he should never have been named. Or they feel like it's not the right name for him. But you know what? T.S. to those people. As I said before, the animation in the treehouse, they do take uh, Radioactive Man number one in its Mylar bag up to Bart's treehouse. Um to pour over it and then fight over it. And they also have a sleepover up there with sleeping bags. Uh, is perfect. I mean, it is really, really lovely. Uh, that circular pan that goes all the way around the three faces as they're sort of shiftily looking at each other is great. Um, they read by candlelight up in the treehouse and the sort of flickering light on their faces is great. Um, And as they're, you know, fighting and punching each other and the lightning is illuminating the treehouse so that Homer from inside the house can just glance at them and see them fighting. That's really well done, too. Um, and, you know, there's like, there's a whole lot of real action adventure drama very, very quickly when Bart is compelled to save Millhouse from falling from the treehouse and let the comic go. This is while Martin is tied up to a chair. Um, that's pretty gnarly. You know, Millhouse is 
rain-drenched face. I wanted Carly to scrap me with the sideburns! You've seen it. You know what I mean. Um, and then finally when <laughs> the dog comes and tears it up and then a lightning bolt destroys it further. That is the end of the comic book. And that is also very nicely animated. Just perfect timing on that. Something that I only noticed on Monday when I was looking at it on the big screen uh, at Low Res Bar was that uh, the sort of coda that ends with Radioactive Man's voice over the shot of uh, a bird making a nest out of the torn pages. That little minute of action is all done in different colors with weird different shadows to try to convey the feeling that it's dawn. Uh, and I, I mean, it's just beautiful. <laughs> uh, go back and look at just the very end of Three Men in a Comic Book and notice how the colors are just slightly changed. They're sort of Easter colors, like lavenders and pinks and stuff. Anyway, it's a, it's a really cool episode, and... Um, Not only does it develop the character of Comic Book Guy, it sort of introduces him and shows us this great character, part of whatever counterculture still existed in 1991, um, that it was an instant fan favorite. It also really very lovingly discusses the world of comic books. Um, I love Jolly Jack Tate standing or sitting behind his table evaluating people's artwork. <laughs> like all these kids are in line showing the artwork to him and he's going mm, 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 shaking his head no. <laughs> um, Buddy Hodges of course the original Fallout Boy with his Q&A session is very good. Um and the scratchy film. That's another way in which the animation is very well done in this. They have this scratchy black and white uh, Laramie Cigarettes commercial that Radioactive Man and Fall Out Boy are in. And they add the sort of scratches to it so that it really looks old. And, I mean, there's much more that I could say. I, want, I don't want to go on and on too, too long or too, too much longer. Um, I will. <laughs> it seems like every one of these I do, there's one little quibble that I have. I've, I'm calling it my uh, ungrateful fan moment. I really don't like it when... Diamond Joe Quimby makes his announcement and uh, Jimbo heckles him and he goes, I uh, stand corrected. Only because Lisa has just said I stand corrected like two minutes before. Um, and I really, really like that reading by Yardley Smith. I like uh, 
the joke a lot, um, which is she likes Casper the Friendly Ghost and Bart's favorite is Radioactive Man and he's showing her like why Radioactive Man is the best. And uh, and she's like, no, it's, come on, Radioactive Man is stupid. And Bart shows her in the comic, no, he, he always says something really, really cool when he kills somebody or when he beats somebody up. Like, for example, he throws one dude into the sun and then he says, hot enough for ya? And Lisa laughs and she goes, ah, I stand corrected. I don't know. I feel like Quimby's saying that exact same line takes a lot of the wind out of the sails of that wonderful joke. Um, there is, this is the last thing I'll say, actually. There is a parody in this of The Wonder Years, which was a very popular TV show in the early 90s, which I used to watch a lot. I loved it. Um, and I haven't gone back and watched it. I think it might be time for me to look back at Fred Savage's first entertainment efforts um, and then realize that it is not as good as I remember. <laughs> but they did a very, very spot-on, just, you know, 10-second parody of The Wonder Years, which uh, was known for having voiceover um, accompanied by 60s music. It was a flashback show for baby boomers about a kid growing up in the 60s and the voiceover was supposed to be his adult self talking. Uh, actor Daniel Stern, who did that voice, is the brother of Simpsons writer David M. Stern. And uh, that's why they were able to get him and uh, they... And that's why they were able to do such an amazing job of uh, getting it just right. When he says, me? Get a job? I never knew it. But at that moment, my dad and I were closer than ever. This has been Simpsons Time. Thanks for listening. And thank you for listening today, October 26th, 2017, to Simpsons Time Through the Debigulator with me, Amanda Nazario. I cherish your fanship of this particular podcast. You know, I would go so far as to say that um, The Wonder Years was so popular at that time that the model for Millhouse might even have been based a little bit on Paul Pfeiffer, the best friend in The Wonder Years. It's something that I've sort of a little bit thought about, but I'm only just now saying. Um, <laughs> good show, right? Dan Loria, I always thought, particularly well cast as the father. This is not a podcast about The Wonder Years. It's about The Simpsons. Listen, 
This Monday, October 30th, come to Low Res Bar for Simpsons Club with me, Chris King, and many, many of your friends. We will watch uh, a lot of Treehouse of Horrors, Chris and my favorites specifically. And um, we're going to have drinks and food and uh, a very good pre-Halloween celebration. So I hope to see you there. And uh, yeah, have a good devil's night if I don't see you, but I will see you. Okay. Bye.